Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. We are in week two of this sermon series called We Are Family. Now, last week, we began this series by looking at the church because God designed the church to be a spiritual family. Today, though, we're heading for home. Uh, We're going to spend the next five weeks talking about marriage and parenting and singleness and lots of good stuff. But before we get into those topics, we need to start at the beginning. We need to start with the foundation of your home. Because we're all building our homes on something. The question is, what are you building on? As I was working on the sermon this week, I had this flashback uh, from a a vacation that our family took back in 2020. Uh, In that year, we went down to Oak Island, North Carolina. And I don't know if you remember 2020, but that was a good year to get away. And it was just a great week. We stayed right on the beach. Uh, We didn't try to do much. We just relaxed. We hung out together. And uh, over the course of that week, we just did simple things. Uh, The kids and I built sandcastles. In fact, we built so many castles that uh, we decided it was time to up our sandcastle game. So we did something a little different. Luke and I decided to build a Mayan pyramid made of sand. Uh, It's kind of like the ones you see down in Mexico. And uh, we're kind of proud of this thing. In fact, we were so proud of it, we wanted to protect it. So we built that wall that you see around the pyramid. And you guys know, and we knew too, the tide would come in. Uh, That wall was just a a stopgap measure. It wasn't really going to uh, save the day. Uh, And you know how the story ended, right? But I wanted to help you feel the pain that we felt when the tide came in. So, uh, got a video that shows you the slow and steady destruction of the Mayan pyramid, and it also shows Luke's valiant efforts at trying to save it. So, let's watch this together. Oh, here comes a big one. Nothing to save it now. Oh, oh look at that. The side's coming off. Boom. What do you think, Luke? Is it over? Yeah, <laughs> Hurts, doesn't it? I don't know if you heard Luke at the end there. I said, is it over? And he said, no, it's still here. <laughs> Serious case of denial right there. But why, why did I tell you about this? Why did I show you that? Well, it's because what you just saw is very similar to a parable that Jesus told. And many of you know what a parable is, but in case you don't, parables are simple stories that teach a spiritual lesson. And these stories usually involve some kind of symbolism. For example, a lost coin might represent a lost sinner. 
And Jesus used parables a lot. He, he loved telling stories, and he was really good at it. Jesus had the ability to communicate in a way that inspired you and moved you and, and just really stuck with you. So today, we're going to read the parable of the wise builder and the foolish builder. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, uh, go ahead and pull up Matthew chapter 7. That's where we'll be today. So follow along with me here. Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, if you grew up going to Sunday school like I did, you're familiar with this parable it's, it's really popular, and you can see why. It's simple. It's easy to understand. It has lots of action, especially that great crash at the end. And it's just a, a great visual image, isn't it? You got the house built on rock. You got the house built on sand. This is a perfect Sunday school craft project waiting to happen. You get your sand. You get your rocks. get some popsicle sticks. You're ready to go. But we shouldn't think of this as a simple kid's story. There is profound truth here. The truth in this parable can change your family. It can change your future. So let's back up and dig a little deeper here. And we'll start with the two men. One man is wise and the other is foolish. And in verse 26 there, that word foolish, it comes from a Greek word, moros. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it it sounds a lot like moron, and that's no coincidence because our English word moron comes from this same Greek word, moros. But the translators did not translate moros into moron. They used this word foolish, and that was a good decision because the guy in this story, he's definitely foolish, but he's not an idiot. He's not unintelligent. I mean, think about it. This foolish man built his own house. To to build your house, you need a lot of knowledge, right? You need expertise. In fact, if you compared these two houses from a distance, they would probably both look really similar. Uh, From the street, both houses probably looked well built. The difference was not in the structure that you saw above the surface. The difference was in the foundation. And so here in real life, we, we see something similar. A foolish person may look pretty good on the outside. And you don't know exactly how foolish they are until the storm comes. That's when everything falls apart. So now we need to think about the foundation itself. Jesus was really clear about this. What did the two foundations represent? Well, in verse 24, Jesus says, Building on the rock is like someone who hears his words and puts them into practice. And the last part there is very important. To build on a solid foundation, you can't just hear what Jesus said. You you can't just know what Jesus said. 
You have to hear his words and then actually go out and put them into practice. And what does that tell us about the foolish man? Well, in modern terms, a foolish man might know a lot about what Jesus taught. He might go to church. He might be sitting here right now. Uh, The difference is, when when it comes down to it, if that foolish man does not want to do what Jesus told him to do, it's pretty simple. He won't do it. And unfortunately, that man is headed for disaster. He's headed for a great crash. And naturally, that's not what we want for ourselves. That's not what we want for our families. So, let's get to the application side of this parable. How can we avoid the mistake this foolish man made? Well, I'll give you three big action steps today. And at first, these steps uh, may look basic, obvious, kind of general, but we're going to drill down and get more specific with each one. So let's go through the list. When it comes to our families, when it comes to our homes, how should we apply this parable? Well, here's action step number one. Build your home on the teachings of Christ. And again, that, that may sound basic, but what exactly does that mean? What teachings are we talking about? Well, right here, it's helpful to know when Jesus told this story. Because this parable comes at the very end of the most famous sermon that Jesus taught. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a long one. In the Bible, it takes up three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So then at the end of all that preaching, Jesus wraps it up with this story, the parable of the wise man and the foolish man. Now, the way I picture it is something like this. It's like Jesus told this story, he dropped the mic, and then he walked away. And there's reason that I think of it that way. Read verse 28 with me. Uh, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. See, nobody had ever heard a sermon like that. Jesus taught and he preached like no one else. He was compelling. He was inspiring. And he was also very tough. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a whole list of commands that are extremely difficult to follow. Uh, Just a few examples. Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You know, when, you, when you're talking about the little stuff, it's fairly easy to forgive people. But what about the big stuff? People can do some pretty terrible things. And, and what about those times when the person doesn't even apologize? They never apologize. They don't even have any sense of remorse. It's tough to forgive in that situation. Here's another one, Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's pretty extreme. Just one lustful glance is considered full-out adultery. Wow, Jesus. One more, Matthew 7, 1. 
Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, people love to quote these verses when they feel like you're judging them. But a lot of times, they'll conveniently forget these commands when they're the ones doing the judging. And when I say that, I guess I'm being a little judgmental too. It's just really hard to never be judgmental. And that's a small sample of what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And then, you know, from there, he said a lot of other things too. Outside that one sermon, he gave a lot of other commands. There's no way I can even summarize them all, but I'll, I'll give you one more outside the Sermon on the Mount. This is from Matthew chapter 20. Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, got it. I'm supposed to be a servant and a slave. Yet another difficult command. But let's go back to our parable. Do you remember what that rock represents? The rock represents someone who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. So, how do we build our homes on this foundation? It's common sense, right? We just do exactly what Jesus told us to do. If we do that, we should be okay. Wise people practice the teachings of Jesus. Foolish people don't. So now what do you think? Um, are we on the right track? Do we now know how to build a strong foundation for our families? I would say we're off to a good start, but we can't stop at that first action step. If you do that, if you stop at action step number one, you will likely do great harm to your family. So we need to look at action step number two, and here it is. Build your home on the gospel of Christ. And yeah, that sounds a lot like the first step, but I'm telling you, this is crucial. Uh, let's think this through. What's the difference between following the teachings of Christ and living according to the gospel of Christ? Well, here's the deal. When we try to do what Jesus told us to do, we're trying to live up to God's perfect standard. And that is a noble goal. But guess what? Nobody in your family or my family or any family can live up to that perfect standard. Not even close. Not today, not tomorrow, not any time in this life. The truth is, Every single family is messed up in one way or another. There's always some area where your kids don't measure up, or your spouse doesn't measure up, or you don't measure up. And I'll go ahead and throw myself in there too. I don't measure up either. So it's universal. But how do we respond to this? you got a couple of options. One thing you could do, you could be in negative mode all the time. You could criticize your family every single day, and you could find good reasons to criticize them. You could also be hypercritical of yourself because you just can't seem to get it together. But that critical spirit won't get you where you want to be. If we're all about action step number one, but we ignore action step number two, 
we're not going to build the kind of homes that God wants for us. Your home will be crushed under the weight of a legalistic religion that does not represent the gospel of Christ. So, what is the gospel of Christ? Well, that word gospel, it means good news. So, we're talking about the good news about Jesus. It's the fact that even though we deserve criticism, we deserve judgment and punishment, God has offered us forgiveness and acceptance. Paul said it this way over in Ephesians chapter 2. He's talking to uh, Christians here specifically, and he says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So in verse 10 there at the end, we we see that God created us to do good things. He created us to follow the teachings of Christ. But as we've already established, we don't do a good job of following the teachings of Jesus. This is the bad news. We're all sinners. We're all in desperate need of God's forgiveness. And unfortunately, you can't earn God's forgiveness by getting a good grade in Jesus' obedience school. The standard is here. We don't come close to meeting that standard. And if that was the system, nobody would make the cut. So the good news is in verse 8. We're saved by the grace of God. Grace is a gift that we don't deserve. And you receive that gift through faith, believing in Jesus, putting your trust in Jesus, giving your life to Him. And that is the gospel. Jesus offered you forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. And He's offered you these gifts despite the fact that you don't deserve them. And now we have our answer. This is how we build our homes on the gospel of Christ. This is how we respond to each other when we don't measure up. We have to show each other grace. (laughs) Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I didn't deserve God's forgiveness. I didn't deserve His grace. And that frees me up to forgive others, whether they deserve it or not. You know, there will always be some level of dysfunction in our homes. And we have to cut each other some slack. However, and this is a big however, we can't just accept that dysfunction. Just tolerate it. No, we can't focus so much on action step number two that we forget about action step number one. We can't go from one extreme to the other. We still have to be serious about following the teachings of Jesus. And no, we'll never quite get it right, but we can be growing in that direction. And God won't leave you hanging. He will help you grow in that direction. And the, the better you get at hearing God's words hearing the words of Jesus and putting them into practice, you will find blessings that you can't find any other way. And one of the greatest blessings you'll find is what we just saw in this parable. When you have a firm foundation, you can survive the storms of life. 
On the other hand, if your house is built on sand, those storms will wipe you out. Now, to really understand this, we need to look at our, our third and final action step. We've already got the first two. Build your home on the teachings of Christ and on the gospel of Christ. But action step number three tells us what not to do. Don't build your home on the things of this world. So far, we haven't said too much about the foundation of sand. Now, Jesus said the sand represents a foolish person who does hear his words but does not put them into practice. But we need to get more specific here. I made a list of four different foundations of sand. You could list more, but I've just got these four. And to help us remember this list, we're going to use the word APPS as an acronym, you know, like APPS that you download on your phone. So let's look at these one letter at a time. First, the letter A represents approval. If you build your life on this foundation, you're constantly thinking about the opinions of others. You're kind of a people pleaser. The first P stands for pleasure. This one is all about feeling good. And when you hear that word pleasure, you might think about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and and that can be true, but not necessarily. Pleasure could also be about simple things, comfort, happiness, health. Really, it's just wanting to have a good life. The second P stands for power. And if you build on this foundation, you're someone who loves being in control. And you don't mind using others or stepping on others to get what you want. Finally, the letter S stands for success. And what is this foundation about? It's about winning. It's about wanting to be the best. It's about wanting other people to see that you're the best. It reminds me of that famous quote from Vince Lombardi. A lot of you probably know it. He said, Winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. And I don't want to pick on old Vince, but if you feel like you have to win every single time, you're building on a foundation of sand. So now we've got our four apps, approval, pleasure, power, and success. But if you're like me, it's easy to look at that list and kind of dismiss it. Like, you know... I like those things. Sure, who doesn't? But that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean I'm building my life on these things. But before we move on too quickly, I think we need to pause for some deeper soul searching. We need to take a very honest look at ourselves and ask, is there some area in my life where I'm following the example of the foolish man? So let's try this going to do a little exercise together. You need to choose an area of your life and then evaluate it uh, compared to those foolish, uh, unstable, sandy foundations. And you might start with your job. That's what I did this week. And I, I'm going to share a little bit here. But feels uh, like I'm being kind of transparent. Uh, this week, I, I prayed and I asked this question. In my role as senior minister here at Plum Creek, what is my true foundation? Why do I do what I do? And then I went through this apps list one at a time. So first, approval. Hypothetically, what would it look like if I based my job on the approval of others? Well, I thought about this. and I thought, if I'm driven by approval, I want everybody to like me. (laughs) I want everybody to say my sermons are great 
and I'll probably hesitate to say something that would offend people or make them angry or upset. And when it comes to making decisions, I'll be thinking more about the opinions of others than God's opinion. Scary stuff. So that's one option. Uh, What about pleasure? Several directions we could go with this, but uh, I'll I'll just share this. To, To be honest, there are parts of my job that I absolutely love. And it's only natural that I would be drawn to the fun parts of ministry. We all like to have a good time, right? But if I'm, I'm building on this foundation of pleasure, what, what would that mean? Well, it means I would probably avoid the parts of my job that are not so pleasant. Maybe I put off a difficult conversation. Uh, maybe I see a problem that needs to be addressed and I just don't deal with it. So if I'm overly focused on what feels good, I will not be doing what God calls me to do, at least some of the time. Okay, what about power? If I'm overly focused on power, if that's what drives me, I, I'm, I'm going to push my agenda no matter who gets in the way. If you try to stop me, you're in for a fight. It's a sad thing, but in recent years, several high-profile pastors have made the news for abusing power. All right, one more. What about success? Is it a common thing for people in ministry to build on this foundation? (laughs) You better believe it. Remember what this one is about? It's about winning. It's about uh, my performance. It's about putting up impressive stats. If I'm driven by success, I want other people to see that I'm a winner. I may be trying to prove to myself that I'm a winner. And you see how tempting this is? We hate to admit this, but we're all tempted to build on a foundation of sand. So how do we get this right? What does it look like for me to really build on the foundation of Christ? I went back and I thought about that in terms of my job. As a a senior minister, if I'm really basing my life on Christ and I'm putting his teachings into into practice, I won't care so much about people-pleasing. I will speak the truth in love, whether it's popular or not. I will also do the hard things in ministry, not just the fun stuff. And I will be a servant leader not a power-hungry leader. And yes, I will have a strong desire to see the church grow. I'll have a strong desire to see us accomplish our mission of making disciples, see God's kingdom expand around the world. Absolutely. But I'll do that out of a genuine love for others and out of a genuine love for God. I'll be working for His glory, not mine. This was really convicting for me. It was eye-opening. And I encourage you to go through this exercise yourself. And you might think about it in terms of your job, but you could also back up and look at a bigger perspective. Think about your family. Think about your life as a whole. Go to God and ask Him to lead you away from the sand and over to the rock. Because the stakes are so high here. Remember that parable? What happens if I build my life on the sand? You know what happens. When the storm comes, everything collapses. Think about these apps. Approval, pleasure, happiness, health, comfort, power, success. 
none of those things last. They're all foundations of sand, completely unstable, because sooner or later, a storm will hit. You can lose any of these things at any time. Maybe somebody rejects you, turns against you, that approval is gone. Maybe you experience a family crisis or a financial crisis or a health crisis and, and you're not having fun anymore. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe your winning streak comes to an end. When these storms hit, you better have a strong foundation underneath you. You don't want to be like our Mayan pyramid. You don't want to be pummeled by these relentless waves until there's nothing left. Now, you want to build on the firm foundation, and a home built on Christ will stand strong through the storms of life. Think about it. If I lose all of my money, but I still have Jesus, am I okay? Absolutely. Or if everyone turns against me, everyone, but I still have Jesus on my side, am I okay? Absolutely. The reality is, when Jesus is your foundation, there is no storm strong enough to take you out. It reminds me of what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. In that chapter, Paul has a message for everyone who builds their lives on Christ. Check it out. I love this. This is kind of popular passage, and there's good reason for that. Uh, Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, any of those storms? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That is powerful. When Jesus is your foundation, there is no storm strong enough to take you out. Now, what do we do with this? How do we wrap this up? Well, like most weeks, I have a challenge for you. Uh, in fact, we're going to have a challenge for every week of this family series. And today's challenge, as you might expect, is about hearing the words of Jesus and putting them into practice. And so to do this, we need a specific command to follow. And I've got one. Now, we're going to go back to something we read earlier, not one of those commands from the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 to 28. Let's read that again. Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, we've all heard these words, right? We've heard them twice. So we've already caught up with the foolish man. We've heard. But we don't want to stop there. We want to get all the way over to the wise man, which means we have to, get, we have to put these words into practice. And how do we do that? Well, 
This is what the challenge is about. We've got a list of practical suggestions for you. And you can find this list on our website. You can go to plumcreek.org slash family challenge. You can also scan that QR code. That'll take you there. There's a QR code in your bulletin, but that one actually doesn't work. This one on the screen is good. Uh, We'll get them out on Facebook too and uh, by email. So you can find these challenges. And we've got them divided into four categories. Marriage, parenting, kids, and our church family. And there are three specific challenges in each of those four categories. And I'll I'll share just a couple with you. Uh, Here's the first challenge in the marriage category. You might want to choose this one. Here it is. Ask your spouse to tell you about something that's very interesting to him or her, but less interesting to you. And make a point of being very attentive as you listen. Depending on who you are, that may be tough, may, may be a bit of a sacrifice, a, a, you know, an act of service. Uh, here's one of the kids' challenges. Do some work around the house without being asked, possibly something you've been putting off, clean your room, wash the dog, etc. I'm especially excited about that one. Now, I encourage you to choose at least one of these challenges this week. You can choose several, as many as you want. That's great. But let's remember why we're doing this. We want to hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice. We want to build our homes on a firm foundation. And when we build on that rock, we're going to stand strong through the storms. This is where we have to start. Let's pray. Father, I lift up every family that is represented in this room. And everyone who may be listening online right now, you know the situation in each of our homes. Some of us are doing okay, even though there's always a little dysfunction. Some of us are in a bad, bad place. But I know in each case, you can take us from that sand and lead us to the rock. And I pray that we'll be open to that. I pray that we will follow where you lead. I thank you for Jesus, Lord, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.